0: Amen. And thank you, Brother Bob, for that time of guided prayer as we prepare our hearts for what God wants to say to us through His Holy Word this morning. Wonderful to see you as we gather and continue working through the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis here on Sunday mornings and looking specifically at the subject of uh, when when bad things happen to God's people. We're recognizing the fact. That we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's messed up. Um, We live in a world where, where bad things do happen to good people. Where bad things happen to God's people. And we're being reminded that God is a God who in the midst of that, that dark night, that valley... God is a God who doesn't leave us and He doesn't forsake us. He holds our hand and sometimes He picks us up and He carries us through. But uh, He's working a, a plan in our life and for this world. And He's sovereign and He's King of kings and He's Lord of lords. And He's up to something beautiful in our life if we'll just hang in there and hold on and keep loving and keep serving and keep worshiping Him. Because no matter what we go through, one thing is always certain God is worthy of our worship. Amen? God is worthy of our worship. And so uh, we're being inspired through the life of Joseph. Joseph was a real person who had real problems, but he followed a real God with real answers or real solutions. And, uh, we're, we're, we're being inspired. I'm being inspired, I, especially last week, just uh, noticing how Joseph was so faithful and Joseph was just so firm and so resolute in his conviction to love God and to stand for righteousness even in Egypt. At a time when it might it have been easy to get kind of sloppy spiritually. It might have been easy to, to, to really kind of take a back seat, to sit, to soak, to sour Uh, to not serve the Lord, to not be faithful to God's revelation to his word as to how uh, he wanted Joseph to live. But that's not Joseph. Joseph is blooming where he's planted, and God is forging his character. And this morning, uh, we're going to continue moving forward and looking at Joseph and how God's forging his character. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 40. We're going to look at the last part of uh, chapter 39. And then moving to verse 40 this morning. So if you have a Bible, Genesis chapter 40 this morning. Now a little bit of a a review, because I know sometimes people may just be, maybe your first Sunday here in a while, or maybe you're new, you're a guest. And so I do want to kind of catch us up on where we've been over the last several weeks. So a little bit of a review in this study. So Joseph was the favorite child of his son, Jacob. And he was hated by his brothers because of that. Joseph has dreams that picture him in a position of favor, dreams that I believe he might have done well just to keep to himself. They were given by God for sure, but maybe he'd have been well to just keep them to himself, just be encouraged by them. But instead, uh, he in a sense brags about the favored position he would someday be in, and his brothers hated him even more. They wanted to kill him and were going to kill him, but decided to instead sell him off into slavery. That way they would not have to lay violent hands upon him and they would get something out of him. So Joseph winds up being sold as a slave for $98.24 in today's money. And he winds up in Egypt, which is, by the way, exactly where the Lord wants him. God sovereignly gets Joseph where he wants him as Joseph is uh, horribly sold into slavery, but blessed and favored, and exalted, and promoted from being a common slave to the steward of Potiphar's home. Potiphar was the captain of Pharaoh's royal bodyguard. Last Sunday, we looked and we watched how Joseph stood uncompromisingly for what was right, and he still had to suffer. In Genesis chapter 39, Potiphar's wife makes a sexual advance upon Joseph. And Joseph refuses because he knows that adultery is a sin in the eyes of God. Potiphar's wife, in anger and humiliation, accuses Joseph of being the one who made the unwanted advance on her, and Joseph is sent to prison. But Joseph was still blessed by God. Genesis chapter 39 there in your Bible. Look at verses 20 through 23. After Joseph is falsely accused and put in prison, the Bible says, But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all of those held in the prison and was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph. And gave him success in everything he did. So church, Joseph is blooming where he is planted. He is still faithfully serving God and loving the Lord and being responsible and being respectful and being hardworking and doing all the things that we ought to do, even in Egypt, even in a valley, even in despair, Joseph is still blooming where he's planted. Now this morning... We're going to move into chapter 40 of Genesis. So verses 1 through 8 is where we're going to be. And let's see what's next for Joseph on this journey here in Egypt. The Bible says that sometime later, the cupbearer and baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with the two officials. Uh, By the way, church, Uh, The the chief cupbearer here was the one who was uh, there assigned to the royal courts. Uh, His job was to serve the drinks at the royal table. The cupbearer guarded against poison in the king's cup and was sometimes required to swallow the beverage before the king to make sure it was okay. The chief baker, of course, was responsible for baking and preparing the king's food. So both of these guys had offended their master. They had been put in prison, the same place where Joseph's at. And verse 3 says they were put in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were also being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, "Why Why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they said, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Now we're going to stop right there for a moment. We'll be moving forward more uh, here in this passage this morning, but we're going to stop right there. And the the first thing that I want us to notice, and again, this is along the subject of notice how Joseph is blooming where he's planted. Notice how Joseph is growing in his character, how how God is forging Joseph's character in Egypt because Joseph is not going to sit and he's not going to soak and he's not going to sour. He's not going to let these circumstances make him a bitter person. He's going to allow these circumstances to make him a better person. And because of that, God's doing incredible work in Joseph's life. One of the things that I see in God forging Joseph's character here is how Joseph has a growing concern or a growing care for others. Look, look with me in your Bible, if you would, verse 6 and 7. In verse 6 and 7, we see that Joseph sees that these two officials are dejected. He, no- he notices that they're sad. Uh, He he approaches them and asks the question, why why do you look so sad today? He inquires, what is it that's bothering you? Hey, I care about you. What is it that has you sad today? Now, one of the things to make note of here is that this is in great contrast to what it seems like Joseph used to be like as a young man. I mean, as a 17-year-old young man, when Joseph was having these dreams of exaltation before God, he appears to be pretty self-absorbed. He seems to be pretty prideful, kind of a focus on self, a preoccupation with self. He seems to be unaware of the feelings of those around him. He's the favorite child, he's hated by his brothers. But he pours it on and and tells a dream about what kind of a a position of of influence that he's going to be in down the road where his brothers are going to bow down before him. It's like he's oblivious or he really doesn't care that much about the people around him. But in Egypt, church, something has happened in this trial, as he's walked with the Lord, he has grown in his character. Now we see that Joseph certainly does notice others. He notices how others are feeling. He cares about others. He's sensitive towards others. And Joseph in Egypt has been transformed by God from being someone who was selfish to someone who is selfless. He notices the sad faces of Others. Church in Egypt, I believe that Joseph learned to take his eyes off of himself and put them on others. If anybody should have had a sad face, it would have been Joseph. If anybody should have been pouting or sad or dejected, it should have been Joseph. But instead, Joseph was looking outward, not selfishly inward, but he was looking outward and he was noticing others. I want you to know, church, this morning, that's one of the marks of God creating steady and solid character in your life is when you and I, when we turn our eyes off of self and we begin noticing those around us. And by the way, this is not an easy thing to do because we're born into this world with the sin nature. We're born in this world being selfish and without the work of grace and without the work of God's mercy in our heart, that's going to be our default level. I know as a parent, it didn't take me very long at all uh, to see the sin nature in my children. Parents, let me see your hands if it didn't take you long to see the sin nature in your children, right? didn't take me long at all to learn that they were doing things and saying things and acting in ways that, uh, you know, they, they they hadn't learned from me they might have learned it from their mom you know, <laughs> but they no no I'm just kidding I'm just kidding uh but they, they were you know things that they hadn't learned from us hadn't seen around the house you know we didn't have to to teach them you know to say no to us or to rebel I, as my kids grew up I never had to send them to a, a camp to learn how to rebel amen parents any of you no no i I didn't have to my kids have never had to stay for tutoring after school to learn how to be selfish right I've never never had to do that those things just kind of come natural to children well that's the sin nature that's that's what that is and so without God's mercy and without God's grace we're, we're going to turn inward that's what's going to happen to us apart from trusting in the lord to do something in our life in our heart let me ask you this by the way when you take a picture when you're in a group photo and it's your phone and the photos is being taken when it comes to whether that's a good photo and we're going to accept that or whether we need to keep going and take more shots let me ask you this when you look at the picture who are you looking at somebody say me i'm looking at me i want to know what i look like right come on somebody get behind me this morning i know we got a lot of folks out sick but you're not sick you're here come on i i mean i'm look i want to know how i i want to i'm not looking to make sure my wife looks good in that picture huh i'm not looking to make i want to know how do i look in that picture huh yeah, okay, all right, all right, all right. So, so that, that's, that's, that's that sinful nature. That's that sinful nature that, that, it, that apart from the grace of God and the mercy of God, it, it will captivate our lives. We'll, 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 we'll be self-focused and we won't look outwards. We won't look towards other people, right? We got to be careful about this. We got to be careful about this because the quickest path to misery is being selfish and it's not noticing Others around us like God wants us to. And by the way, uh, this can start today in my life. It can start today in your life. It can start on Sundays at church when people are coming through the doors there who are looking to meet with God, who are looking for encouragement People who are looking for a, a word, a smile, a touch, a welcome. You know, we can, we can all turn ourselves outward and just notice those around us. Is it somebody new who's here that may need help finding their way around? Or they've got kids or youth, they don't know where to go. We're, we're thinking, we're looking at others. I told uh, my last church, we'd been there a few years And I told my last church at a time when, uh, you know, things were a little crazy in our life. All of our kids were quite a bit younger. I remember telling our church one Sunday... Uh, everybody let 's just everybody become a greeter let 's just everybody become a greeter let 's everybody notice those coming in and what they may need a smile, a handshake what whatever a hug let's everybody become a greeter you know, i I said I, said, I want you all to notice that that man who comes in and he looks down and he looks dejected and maybe he looks kind of uncomfortable. he may look out of place and love him, shake his hand welcome he, he may be in church for the first time in years. And he's here to, to meet with the Lord, welcoming, love on him. I said, notice that couple that comes in and maybe they don't look so happy. They could have had a knockdown drag out on the way to church this morning and uh, just need a little encouragement. I told them, I said, notice that woman who comes to church alone and she's got one kid running ahead of her and she's got one kid way behind her and she's holding the hand of a toddler and she's got a baby carrier in the other hand. Notice that woman and help that woman because that's Pastor Kevin's wife. And, and that morning with, with her husband here, and he's been studying, and he's greeting, and he's preparing to preach, she may need more that morning than just a bulletin shoved in her face. Amen, somebody? She may need the door opened or something like that. And so, uh, but, but, but notice those. Notice those around us. Notice those around us. And by the way, wait for something to happen in your life. If you're, if you're in a place in life, and if you're ever blue, if you're ever down, if you're ever a little discouraged, ask yourself: Am I preoccupied with self? Am I turned inwards towards my circumstances and my valley and my despair, or 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 or, in, 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 or am I noticing others? Many times, when I'm down, when I'm blue, when I'm discouraged, many times I've become preoccupied with self, not Joseph, not Joseph. He is turning his heart, turning his life, turning his eyes, his ears outward, and he's noticing the needs of others. Look at this again. Why do you look so sad today? Their response. Look with me in your Bible, verse 8. Their response. We we both had dreams. There was no one to interpret them. And here's Joseph in this moment who we're going to find out has a gift. He has a, God has given him a gift. We saw this at, at a, a time in his life when he was a young man, a 17-year-old man. He, he, had an, he had a special ability, a gift to, to hear from God through dreams. And so God is speaking to him, and, and, and who knows, perhaps that was not the only isolated case There is a young man. Here we're going to see there's another case where dreams are told, and Joseph understands it. And understands what God is trying to say through that dream. I I love the way that Joseph, by the way, though, handles this dream. If you look with me in verse 8, another another piece of evidence I see that God is forging Joseph's character here. And growing him is this. When they say there's no one to interpret them, Joseph doesn't step up in the spotlight and say, Ta-da, I'm the man. What do you mean there's nobody to interpret? Have you not heard about me? I thought my reputation kind of preceded itself. I've got an incredible gift. I can interpret that dream. That's not his response. I want you to notice how in Egypt, Joseph has grown in humility. Something he didn't have as a 17-year-old young man. Notice how he responds to this. Verse 8 of your Bible. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to who? God. Do, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. Later on next, next next Sunday, we're gonna look at a Joseph interpreting Pharaoh's dream. And I'll, and I'll speak more next Sunday on how, to, how do we understand dreams today. I hope you don't miss next, next Sunday. I'm going to talk about how do we understand dreams today and how God or if God might speak through dreams. But, but next week we're going to see how in adding to this that when Joseph hears Pharaoh's dream, um, he is going to admit, I, I can't do it. I can't interpret the, de- the dream. I can't, I can, I'm not able to do it. I'm, I'm limited. But God can do it through me. I want you to see the growing humility in Joseph's life right here to just say, uh, do not interpretations belong to God. Joseph is being humbled. And anybody who's following the Lord, anybody who's in the Word of God, anybody who's embracing day by day and just wanting God to move in your life, one one of the things that we'll find is happening is that God is hes just humbling us through life. That the tough times in life, God is humbling us. And when we can't do something or, or when we maybe fall or we fail or, or we embarrass ourselves or, or something, just understand that God is in the process of humbling us and, and keeping us humble so that we'll depend solely upon Him. Can somebody say amen? It's a good thing in our life. That, that, that God's growing us and driving us to depend upon Him and, and to look upon Him and, and being humbled, and humbled by God. It's a, it's a very, very good thing. It's something that we all need. I heard about a, a young man who was a new preacher in a church, and he, he thought he was pretty big stuff. He had just graduated from seminary. And and he, he really thought he was quite something special. And so he went into the church and uh, was just beaming every Sunday after his messages. He really thought he was something. And one of the ladies, an older member of the church, thought... Uh, He needs to be humbled. She was on the uh, humbling the pastor committee, amen? And there's one of those in every church, by the way, the humble the pastor committee. And so she thought, I'm going to take it upon myself to humble this young man. And so one Sunday after he had preached the message, this fresh seminary graduate was just standing out, beaming on the message that he had brought. And this uh, older member of the church, she said, young man, I'll have you to know that members of this church are using your name in the same sentence as Billy Graham. He said, really? She said, yeah. They're saying, he ain't no Billy Graham. (laughs) He was humbled. And being humbled is a good thing. And in the tough times of our life, take note of the fact that Hey, and by the way, tough times wouldn't happen if we were still in the Garden of Eden, amen? Tough times wouldn't happen if we were in heaven. If Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, we we wouldn't have tough times, but they did, and we do. In a fallen world, we have tough times. And I want us to understand that God works even during tough times. And at the end of the day, I want you to recognize this. When I study my Bible, and I know this is the kind of thing, America, I don't expect you to get too excited about what I'm going to say, all right? I don't expect you to get too excited about this, but I believe it's true with all of my heart. God is more concerned about my character than he is my comfort. I don't expect you to hoop and holler and get it. That's not exactly maybe what you want to hear, but as I, as I study Scripture, God is more concerned, he's more passionate about my character than my staying comfort, comfortable more passionate about my character. And in Egypt, Joseph is growing. And here's these dreams that they're struggling with, the cupbearer and the baker are struggling with, and they tell the dreams to Joseph. And we'll, we'll close with this if you'll look with me. They tell these dreams to Joseph because Joseph says, hey, I'm going to give God glory in this. I'm going to give God glory in this. I have a gift. I, I, you know, Look, it, it comes from above. I'm going to give God glory. Tell, tell me your dreams. So I want you to notice these dreams, and we'll close with this, church. Verse 9, the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup in his hand. This is what it means. Look at what Joseph says, verse 12, the interpretation. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will be put and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and, and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here, I've done nothing to, des- to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, Hey, hey I, I had a dream, huh? I, I had a dream. He steps up and says, I, I had a dream too. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole and the birds will eat away your flesh. And the baker probably said, what? Last time I ever tell you one of my dreams, <laughs> right? Um, not so good for him. Not so good for him. I wish I had more time. I don't. I'll be sensitive to time. But here's what I want to say here. Imagine the temptation. I want you to imagine the temptation that Joseph would have had to tell the baker. Man, I don't know. I mean, he knows, right? I want you to imagine the temptation to say, Man, I don't. Now, yours is a tough one. I don't really I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about that one. do you think about how hard it would have been to, or how easy it would have been to just sidestep that and just not deal with that? Not Joseph. Joseph's a truth teller like all of God's people ought to be. We, the people of God, are called to tell the truth. And and the truth is this. um, Wow, what a tough thing that this would have been. But here in Egypt, Joseph is living for, for one master, and he's living before the audience of one, and it's the Lord God. Amen? How, how challenging this would have been, how tempting it would have been to have just said, I don't know, or, or to make this sound better than it was, but, but Joseph couldn't and Joseph wouldn't. And it's a reminder to us, church, that we're people who are called in this generation and, and every generation to be people that are speaking the truth, people that are telling people about Jesus, people that are having conversations about eternity, Having conversations about heaven and conversations about hell. And and church, I still believe with all of my heart that there is a heaven and that there is a hell this morning. And that people that don't trust in Christ, who reject God's offer of grace through Jesus, spend an eternity in hell. That's the truth that we're called to tell as difficult as it may be. What happens is this, Joseph exercising a gift that God has given him. I want you to notice that just as Joseph said, uh, that's what happens here. Things unfold in the same. Verse 20 of your Bible, we'll close with this. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. And then this breaks your heart. Verse 23. This breaks your heart. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Forgotten by the chief cupbearer. but not forgotten by God. You ever felt forgotten? You ever felt left out? Somebody ever let you down? Ever depended on someone and were trusting them to come through, to remember you, to mention your name, to, and, and they just forgot about you? In my years of life, I've learned there's a lot lot of good people around. A lot of good people around. And and there's people that we can trust. Good friends that we can trust. But the best of us, including this pastor. Listen to me. The best of us will let each other down sometimes. But He never lets us down. And so don't put your faith in people. Put your faith in God. If if I'm hurt in such a way where I shrink back from God because of people, I've put too much stock in people and people have become my idol and I'm not worshiping God as I should. People will let you down. Jesus will never let you down. Joseph's forgotten by the chief cupbearer, but he's not forgotten by God. We're going to see next week, we're going to see that God delivers and God comes through and God's going to restore Joseph and Joseph's Joseph's going to be put in a beautiful place. But Joseph had to experience one more hurtful time of being forgotten and he'd spend two more years in prison before his release, before his breakthrough. And this just reminds me, church, that again through Joseph, sometimes we gotta go through difficult times in life. Sometimes we gotta we gotta hurt. I wish we didn't have to, but we gotta hurt. And we gotta kinda learn to play with pain, so to speak, and just keep worshiping and just keep serving and keep loving the Lord, even though things in our life don't make sense and we kind of scratch our head and wonder why this is happening or that happens if God really loves me. But at the end of the day, we just gotta keep serving and keep loving and keep worshiping and keep pushing on and perseverance because God is good and all the time. Lou Gehrig is a name that may ring a bell for many of you. He was called the Iron Man of baseball. First baseman for the New York Yankees in the 1920s, 30s, uh, for, for, for 15 years, Lou Garrick went out and played his position and set a record at the time that has been a record until Cal Ripken uh, broke it some time ago. But Lou Garrick played in 2,130 consecutive games without missing a single game. Unheard of commitment. Unheard of tenacity to showing up and doing your job no matter what. 2,130 consecutive games without missing a game. At the end of his career, after that incredible streak, Lou Gehrig had his hands x-rayed. And what they found out is that over the course of his career during that stretch, He had broken every single finger on both hands at least once during that time. But he didn't miss a game. He kept pushing forward and he kept persevering and he wouldn't let that hold him back. And I just want to say this to you this morning that because we live in a fallen world, sometimes you're going to get hurt. Sometimes you're going to fall down. Sometimes you're going to experience brokenness. And every single one of us comes here this morning with some kind of brokenness. But because the Lord loves us, is with us, and is working all things together for good, we can keep going out on that playing field. And we can keep serving. And we can keep worshiping. And we can keep loving the Lord And we can keep honoring Him and trusting Him and believing in Him because we know that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much that indeed You are good all of the time. Circumstances are not always good in our life. Uh, Sometimes they're pretty rotten. But God, You are good all of the time. Lord, all of the time You are good. God, we thank you that we don't have to question your love for us this morning in the midst of challenges and valleys in life. For you've gone to the cross. You've come down from heaven to earth and you've suffered and you've bled and you've died for our sins on Calvary's cross. You are our substitute, our sacrifice. You've laid down your life so that we can be free from sin. Know that heaven's our home. Escape the wrath of hell. God, we thank you for so great a salvation. Lord, I pray as we enter into this time of invitation that you would impress upon our hearts that you are for us, that you're not against us, and that you've demonstrated your love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ, you died for us. I pray that you would save souls this morning, bring people to recommitment, bring people to worship who haven't worshiped in a while. Bring people to, to serve and say, I'm going to serve who haven't served in a while. I'm going to show up. I'm going to stay on the playing field, Lord, for your glory. I'm going to, I'm going to play, play hurt. I'm going to worship hurt. I'm going to worship broken. I'm going to serve broken. But God, I'm going to keep loving you with your help. Lord, we ask that during this time, this time of invitation, you would have your will and that you would have your way. Bring people to Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Invitation time is the time for you to respond to the Word of God. And so if you've never been saved, today is the day. This is the moment. Tomorrow is not promised. Uh, heaven and hell are forever. And those that trust in Jesus will spend eternity with the Lord in heaven. Tomorrow is not promised. Today is the day of salvation. Whatever it is this morning that's on your heart, the invitation time is the time for you to move, for you to respond, for you to obey the voice of the Lord. As we stand and as we sing, would you come as we sing our song of invitation? If God's speaking to you, don't delay. Come as we sing.